This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I just welcome you as Jim did and welcome those who are watching the live stream. And it encouraged me just I received a text that said the quarantined satellite campus is streaming with you right now. So uh, welcome those of you that are in quarantine. Uh, glad that you were able to, to join us. As we begin our 40 days of P3, and you, uh, for those of you that weren't here last week, there's an insert that looks like this, and you can read a little bit more about it in there. But I hope that you're getting embedded in your mind that P3 stands for prayer plus praise equals peace. And so today and in the coming weeks, I want to try to bring the concept of P3 down to a very practical level. And I want us to see that despite what is going on in our lives, whether it's pandemic-related or job-related or family-related or health-related or politically-related or he wronged me and did me dirty-related, prayer plus praise will indeed give us the foundation for peace. Now, sometimes I think that we all feel that we're living in a, such a unique time in history that is much more complicated and much more difficult than it was in times past. And, and we kind of feel that people in the past lived stress-free lives. And after work, everybody would come home and, and have a family dinner. Only at that time, they would have probably called it supper. And then the family would go outside in that long, that long southern-style porch, and mom and dad would sit in the porch swing. You know, they'd just be a-swinging and and the kids and a dog or two, and of course, definitely no cats, but they would all just just kind of play in the yard, and, and the kids would actually get along with each other. Um, and while they were drinking sweet tea, the neighbors would come by and bring a loaf of fresh homemade bread, and the host family would just happen to have in the cellar some homemade honey butter, and they would all just hang out until bedtime, and everybody would go to bed, sleep eight hours without melatonin or any other sleep aids. And we think that life for them was easy and stress-free, and as we say today, life was good. But that was not the case. Not only did our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents and people clear on back to Bible times deal with similar problems that we deal with, such as job stresses, family problems, and, and do you realize even pandemics? They dealt with pandemics, and some of them significantly worse than the COVID pandemic. But then they also dealt with things that we can't relate to. They, they dealt with true religious persecution. They dealt with hunger. They dealt with a lack of even basic medical care. They dealt with a world with no government assistance in the form of stimulus checks or unemployment or disability or social security checks for seniors. Not to mention, and you may smile at this, but they dealt with a lack of indoor plumbing. Think about heading outside in the middle of the night to a tree or at best an outhouse to do your thing with temps like we had this last week. You know, this is a little bit off the subject, but this past Thursday after our official frost, I mean the coldest night of the fall so far, someone wanted to be baptized outside. So we went to Cedar Creek off of uh, Highway 39 and and uh, all, all I can say, I don't really need to talk about it, but the water was exhilarating. And, and, and the baptism just sent 
chills from head to toe. And, you know, I honestly can't imagine life without indoor plumbing. Maybe some of you here, you, you went through that, but that was reality just a few years ago. But anyway, people in the past, clear back to Bible times, dealt with not only the same problems we deal with today, but multiply that exponentially with other challenges that we've never had to face. But here's what I want to get at. The big difference is that followers of Jesus Christ back in the days of the New Testament seem to be a bit better at keeping a proper perspective and finding peace while facing those challenges. And they did that without medication. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for the gift of medicine. I'm, I'm a firm believer in medicine. Uh, now, now, at this very youthful stage of my life, uh, God has blessed me with reasonably good health, and besides an occasional headache that I treat with a couple of ibuprofen, I'm not on any medication. I say that with thanksgiving, recognizing it's certainly not because I eat healthy, it's not because I stay away from chocolate. I mean, look what I found on my desk this past Sunday. Awesome is right. Awesome. Um, no sharing on that, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's, it's obviously I don't stay away from sweets, I don't stay away from red meat, pork, or anything else that's unhealthy, so I can't take credit for the reasonable amount of health I have. It's a gift from God, but, but having said that, I'm thankful for medicines, I'm thankful for our healthcare workers, but how did the early church deal with all of their stresses and problems, persecution, I mean, without all of the stuff we have today? seemingly with a deep level of peace. And I'm not going to oversimplify things and, and say that if you will pray and praise that you will always have peace and your stress will go away and you can go off your meds. I'm not saying that. It doesn't work that way. It's not that simple. But there's something about the first part of what we're calling P3 of being able to pray and, and take our burdens to the Lord and actually leave them there. And then there's something about the second factor of P3 of instead of always looking at the doom and the gloom and the problems and the negativity and the imperfections in our world and in each other, there's something that takes place and it's almost magical, but it's not. But when we begin to pray and couple that with praise to a God who is a good God and a loving God and a protecting God and a God who provides, it just seems that prayer plus praise gives a foundation for peace. Now, I don't want to minimize what you're going through. Some of you are facing things that are huge, way bigger than anything I've ever faced. But if you happen to be feeling sorry for yourself today, and I'll be honest, I had a few moments this past week where I felt sorry for myself. I didn't need to, but I did. But understand that followers of, the, of Jesus in the New Testament, even though many of them faced problems way bigger than we faced, they didn't feel sorry for themselves. They didn't pout. They didn't get bitter. They didn't get mad at the church. They didn't make derogatory posts about the government. They didn't question God. They just decided to pray about it and then praise God despite it. And it seemed that they walked around with a much deeper level of peace than we have today. So let me just end that part of my rant and give you a couple of details that will lead us into our scripture. Back about 1980 years ago or so in Jerusalem, and this would have been about 15 years after Christ's resurrection, we will find that something terrible was about to take place. King Herod, who had been known to have an anger problem, 
basically be a loose cannon. He's starting to flip out. He's furious over something. He's furious over how God seems to be giving favor to the church. And so he makes a decision. He said, I'm going after Jesus' followers. And and his decision is to go after high-profile targets. He targets the leaders of the young church. Now, this particular King Herod is actually Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, who 45 years earlier had murdered the male babies in the Bethlehem area after the birth of Jesus. So obviously, because of Herod the Great and Herod Agrippa, violence clearly ran in that family. So let's find out what Herod was about to do from the account that Luke gives us in the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Now, the, the Bible says persecute today, we would have probably said torture, because that's what they did. Verse 2, he had James, the brother of John. Now, there were several James in, in the Bible. Jesus had a brother named James, but this was not that James. This was John's brother, James. Had him put to death with a sword. And probably when it says put to death, probably beheaded. And, and his death would have been a, a huge blow to the morale of, of, of Jesus' followers in, in Jerusalem because, you know, we have an established church. This church was established a hundred and some years ago. We've got several leaders here that are established, but that was a baby church, maybe 15 years old, max. When he, Herod, saw that this, having James beheaded, pleased the Jews... So he had him beheaded. It pleased the Jews, made them happy. Now, we we think our society is messed up and is sick. And and it is. But this society celebrated someone being beheaded. That's sick. And so he proceeded to seize Peter also. Killed James. Made people happy. He grabbed Peter. Peter was probably even a bigger fish than James. James. So arresting Peter would push Herod's popularity up even higher. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So why didn't Herod just have him killed like he did James? Well, he didn't want to do anything to rile up the Jews because this was Passover. And the Jews were somewhat cranky during Passover, extra sensitive. So he arrested Peter, put him in prison... Because it says Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now understand that having four squads, and I was researching this a little bit, four squads of four soldiers each, day and night, guarding a man, and the Bible later on says that he was in two sets of chains. So with four squads of four soldiers each, around the clock, two chains would be like having Peter in a supermax prison. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Florence, Colorado area, and those of you that have been mountain climbing, it just happens to where we, we've been by there several times, and um, it, it is the most secure supermax prison in, in, in our country, and it, it houses people like uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. He, he was sentenced, listen to this, eight consecutive life sentences. That's a long time. You've got Terry Nichols, uh, the Oklahoma City bombing there at, at, at Florence, the Supermax. You have El Chapo, the notorious drug lord, life in prison plus 30 years. He forfeited $12 billion. 
going to prison. Larry Hoover, not, not Alan's brother uh, in, in the area, but this is another Larry Hoover. that um, he, he was the founder of the Gangster Disciples. He was sentenced to 100 years in prison, and then while he was in prison, he directed some other crimes, and so they tacked on six more life sentences there in Florence. And, and I was reading about it. They, um, what they do is they have total isolation for 23 out of 24 hours. And then for one hour a day, if they're good boys and good girls, they can go out to an area, but they're not with other prisoners. That's life in the supermax there in Florence, Colorado. And, and so Peter would have been in the equivalent of a supermax prison. Luke continues. He says, so Peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying for him. What hit me and convicted me this past Tuesday morning, I was here early and just studying and praying and trying to learn from the Scripture. What hit me was that as a church, we've been talking about prayer for nearly a month and a half, but what convicted me is how many corporate prayer meetings have we actually had as a church during this time? zero. And that's not your fault. That's my fault. You know, I think as churches, as Christians, we probably talk too much about prayer, and we don't do enough of it. You know, here we give you bookmarks and to remind you to pray, but I doubt if the early church gave out any bookmarks. They just prayed. And, and Tuesday morning, I was, I was convicted. I'll tell you what I did. I was sitting there at my desk, and I just dropped my head and said, God, forgive me for not leading this church to be more of a praying church. Now, as we look at the early church that Scripture says was praying for the release of Peter, let's stop and think about this for a moment. Herod had arrested James, and even though the Bible doesn't say this, don't you think the church was praying for James's release? I, I think they were. But instead of his release, he was beheaded. And so here... Probably days, maybe even hours after God did not answer the prayers of the church and did not deliver James, the church in Jerusalem, back on their knees again, praying, asking God to deliver Peter from jail. You know, if this were us today, at least me, I, I think we would say, you know, if God didn't stop James from being killed, and especially since Herod found out that killing followers of Jesus helped his approval rating, why would the church expect that the result would be any different for Peter? I mean, don't you think they would say, well, I guess it was just his time to go. Or our favorite way of saying it is, I guess it was meant to be or it wasn't meant to be, whatever you say, however you say it there. But that type of commitment to pray is one of the reasons that the gospel made it out of Jerusalem and clear across the world to a remote and rural setting that we called Eldorado Springs, Missouri. And the early church didn't continue praying because it made sense. They continued praying because the thing that made the least sense of all, the crucifixion of God's Son, the crucifixion of the Messiah, resulted in the resurrection that opened the door to the salvation for the world, the forgiveness of sins, and provided a, a ramp, an on-ramp, to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when you find yourself praying to the very God who did not come through for you the way you wanted him to, you're in good company. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Mary, Martha, they knew the feeling, but they still prayed. And they still praised. And God gave them peace 
despite all of the unanswered questions they had. And uh, spoiler alert, Herod doesn't get the warped pleasure of executing Peter. But we'll come to that in just a moment. Now, several years after Peter was arrested in Jerusalem, he actually sits down and dictates a letter to Christians living in regions scattered around the Roman Empire. Now, before I read you what he writes, keep in mind, by the time he's writing this letter, he's been arrested multiple times. He's been living as a fugitive, yet in spite of that, here's what he writes as a testimony to Christians who are experiencing pandemics, health issues, family problems, financial stresses. Here's what Peter says to you as a testimony. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus. Wait, wait, wait Peter, you, you've been arrested? You've been flogged? Your body is scarred for life? Stephen is dead? James is dead? Others of your buddies have been martyred? The apostles are scattered because of persecution? You're praising God. He continues, in His great mercy, He's given us new birth. Listen what our hope is, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or, or, or fade. Peter was saying, you know what, your prayers may not all get answered. You may never understand the reasons for your heartaches. You may never understand the reason for your body aches. But you have hope, and, and your hope isn't anchored to always getting your prayers anchored, uh, answered like you want. It's not anchored to a Wesleyan theology. It's not anchored to a conservative doctrine. It's not even anchored, I'm sorry, it's not even anchored to a book called the Bible. Now that stunned you a little bit, didn't it? I believe in the Bible. I believe it's inspired. It's inerrant. But you know what? Peter says our hope is it's not anchored to a book. It's anchored to a person. Jesus Christ. An event that rekindled his hope, the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, it's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while you may have had to suffer grief. You've had to suffer a little grief in all kinds of trials. So Peter says, in light of all the tough stuff you've gone through, because of the hope of Jesus, because of his resurrection, you can find joy and peace in the middle of it. And these trials don't indicate that everything is spinning out of control. Peter would tell us the reason for these trials in verse 7. These have come so that your faith, listen, of greater worth than gold. Did you know? Your faith, your relationship with Jesus Christ is worth more than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So let me just bring this down to kind of everyday talk that I can understand. Trials give a platform for you to prove that you have the goods. Whatever spills out of you when you're bumped with a trial, that shows what's inside. Listen, if something happens and the first thing that comes out of your mouth is a bad word, that shows what's inside of you. If the first thing that you do is throw something or slam a door or yell, that shows us what's inside of you. 
Uh, and did you know that while you're going through your trial that people are watching you? And so as you experience heartache in the family, as you suffer injustice of having someone slander you on Facebook, as you respond to a hurtful post, people are watching you. And when they see that you don't pop off at the mouth and you don't gossip and you don't always claim, I have my rights. When they see that despite the fact that you totally disagree with the government, yet you are not always just bashing them, but rather you are encouraging people instead to pray for them. If we will react with peace and grace during tough times, listen, people will be drawn to our peace and people will be drawn to the Prince of Peace. Well, then Peter continues, he says in verse 8, though you've not seen him, of course he's writing to people that had never really seen Jesus the way that Peter had seen Jesus, you love him and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So if we would have interrogated Peter and said, okay, how does all the stuff you've gone through not undermine your peace? I mean, they killed James, they came for you, you escaped by a hair. We'll find out. Peter would say, my peace and my faith don't depend on my ability to explain everything. My peace is not shaken by unfairness. My peace is not shaken by tragedy. It's not shaken by the fact that I was arrested unjustly. I think he would say, hey, I saw the best person in the world suffer unjustly the worst possible death. It made no sense at all. But he had peace until he took his last breath. So while there's a lot, I think Peter would say that I don't understand after the resurrection, the rest doesn't matter. It's just minutiae. It's just small detail. So continuing on back to Acts, God allows Herod to arrest, execute James. He allows Herod to arrest Peter, put him in jail, waiting for the Passover to end so he could more than likely kill him. The Christians in Jerusalem are praying, asking God for Peter's release knowing that Herod may come for them next. So what happens? And here is where we need a drum roll, Damien. Because in verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial. Now, did you catch that? The timing of that? The night before. This is down to the wire. God is cutting it too close for comfort. The night before Herod was going to try him, probably kill him. I don't know how I could do this, but Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in that cell. He struck Peter on his side, on the side, woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. So Peter would have had on his jail clothes. And so the angel said, put on your street clothes. You need to dress up a little bit. Peter did so, wrap your cloak around you, follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision, so he thought he was dreaming. Verse 10, they passed the first and the second guards. Again, this was supermax. And this time, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. So this was probably the first door with an automatic sensor on it opened by itself they went through it when they had walked the length of one street the angel left now here's what i thought god 
why didn't you do this same thing for poor old James? I mean, the church prayed for him. I, at least I, I assume they did. What happened? <coughs> Head chopped off. Why, God? That's not fair. Maybe this is what you're thinking. God, why is it that there are those people that have it so good and they've got so much money and everything just... Their kids are smart. Their kids are well-behaved. Their marriage is perfect. My marriage is a wreck. My family's a disaster. My health is a mess. My finances... Don't even go there. God, why don't you do for me what you've done for whomever? Well, just as James friends and family never got a good answer to their questions in life, we may never get satisfying answers to ours either. Well, when Peter realized that this was not a dream, verse 12, when this had dawned on him, that he wasn't dreaming, it was real, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, so this would be John Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And so, did you catch that? Where many people had gathered and were praying. Many people had gathered and were praying. This wasn't just a little tiny prayer meeting like most prayer meetings. Many people had gathered. Now, as we come to this part of the documentation of what happened, the Bible leaves out some details I wish it would have given. But here's what I think. Again, just my thought. Once Peter realizes he's not dreaming and he's free, he knows it's just a matter of time before you know, dawn comes gets light enough, and they send out a search party for him. So here's what I have a feeling he did. I have a feeling when the angel left him, he ran down the street to the door of a home. Um, maybe the, somebody that, uh, you know, he, that was closest there and happened to be the home of Mary. And verse 13 says, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. Left poor Peter out there and exclaimed, Pete is at the door. Peter's at the door. And now remember, what's the church doing? Praying for his release. So when Rhoda interrupts the prayer meeting, says, hey, your prayers have been answered. Peter's at the door. How do they respond? You're out of your mind. And I wonder if she said, but weren't you just praying for this? And they probably would not say this, but maybe think this. Yeah, but we also prayed for James and he got killed. So we really weren't expecting Peter to be released. She kept insisting it was so. And they still didn't believe her. They said, it must be his angel. In the meantime, verse 16, Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were shocked. They were astonished. Imagine that, an, an actual answer to prayer. The early church was shocked. Well, verse 17, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. Shh, shh. And described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, and of course this would be another James, this would be the brother of Jesus, and the brothers about this, he said, then he left. Now, why did he leave so quickly? Have you ever studied this? Why didn't they have a carry in dinner? Just hang out for a while. 
Probably because Peter didn't want the authorities to come to the house and see him, which would have incriminated everybody there and put their lives in danger. So, so they started celebrating. It was noisy. It was loud. They were praising God. And, and, and Peter says, He told what happened, and he said, tell others about how God had intervened. He left. So, where did Peter go? Uh, well, we don't know. Luke doesn't say. When, when Luke wrote this, Peter was still alive and still a wanted man, and so if Luke knew where Peter was, he didn't document it, because he knew there was a good chance that they would come, and this document could fall into the wrong hands. So there's no documentation of where he went. So scholars believe that Peter went underground. And it's a good thing, because in verse 18 it says, In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Can you imagine? Where's Peter? He was in chains. After Herod had, had a thorough search made for him... And did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Talk about so not fair. You know, insurance policies exempt any damage that might take place as a result of an act of God. And this was, Peter's escape was an act of God, but these poor guards still suffered the consequences, they lost their lives. Well, by now, Herod is publicly humiliated. His high-profile big fish has escaped their supermax prison. He had promised the people that they were going to witness the trial of Peter after the Passover. This was going to be big. The people were already smelling. But remember, this was a sick society that celebrated when the enemy was killed. Peter's missing. Herod is so humiliated... He orders the execution of the guards. This next part cracks me up. In the last half of that same verse, after the search for Peter comes up empty, here's what Herod did. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. Now, just a little bit of additional information. Herod had a beach house down by the Mediterranean Sea. And so after Peter escaped their supermax prison, Herod was so humiliated... He left. He went down to his beach house. In verse 20, talks about some stuff that had been going on there. said he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They joined together and sought an audience with him, having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king. They asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, and pay attention to this, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. Dressed up in his royal robes. And and, and I want to just stop here a minute. And I learned some stuff this week. I, I, I really studied this. I wanted to find out as much information as I could. And so I, I, I went to the Jewish historian Josephus. Now, now, Josephus, again, he's a historian. His writings are not inspired by God, but many of his writings will dovetail with Scripture, and it gives a little bit of additional insight. So this is what uh, uh, Josephus says uh, as... As Herod was making the public address, he had on a robe that was made out of silver. This is what Josephus says. 
In fact, let me just quote exactly what Josephus wrote. He said, at sunrise on the following day, he put on a robe made of all silver. Can you imagine how glorious that would have looked? He walked into the theater. Then the silver shone brightly as the sun's first rays fell upon it, and it sparkled in the sunlight. So try to picture this. His robe is of silver. The sun comes up and starts shining down. His robe of silver is sparkling, and it goes on, and Josephus says, it dazzled the crowd, causing a sort of fear and trembling in those who were viewing the spectacle. The crowds then began to shout from various parts of the theater, words which in truth were not for his best, not for Herod's best, addressing him as a god and crying out this, We have in the past honored you as a man, but now we honor you as one with a nature greater than any mortal being. That's what was written in history about this incident. Well, that was the historical report. Let's go back now to the biblical report from Luke. And he says it this way in verse 22. They shouted, whenever he came out to make his public address, they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. So Josephus and and scripture, they dovetail there, but pay attention. Verse 23, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. So when praise might come to you, whenever someone might say, hey, you are so talented. You, you did a really good job. Do you see the importance from this account to deflect that praise to God? Because if you're good, it's because of God. If God has helped you to accumulate means to have, you know, to have risen high in your company deflect that praise to God. So Luke says that um, because Herod did not give praise to God, that the Lord uh, struck down Herod and was eaten by worms, and then he died. Now, catch that he didn't die first and was then eaten by worms. That's what I've always thought until this week. I studied it, and it said that he was eaten by worms, and then he died. Can you imagine the pain and you know, as I've traveled to different countries, I've, I've had plenty of bouts with amoebas and parasites. And, oh, man, that can just double you over with the pain. I, I can't imagine being eaten by worms while you're still alive. And do you want to hear a little bit more additional details that Josephus, the historian, gives of this account? It's, it, it's a little bit more graphic, but I think you can handle it. Josephus says that as Herod was giving his speech to that crowd, all of a sudden he was seized by a severe pain in his bowels. That's what Josephus says. And so he was immediately rushed off the stage, and when he had suffered for five straight days from the pain in his stomach, he died at the age of 54 after ruling for seven years. Now, sorry, it's a little bit graphic there, but... uh, just powerful lesson here. And what do you think when, when Peter, what, what Peter thought when he got the news that Herod was dead? Well, initially probably he was thinking, it's out of the way now. But, but I wonder if Peter might have thought, God, why didn't you send those worms to him a month earlier? 
because my buddy James might still be alive. Not to mention that those poor innocent prison guards wouldn't have had to die because of an act of God. Luke wraps up this account with this statement. Acts 12, 24, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. Did you know that persecution has never stopped the spread of gospel? In fact, another one of the reasons, do you know why the gospel made it here? Of course, because prayers, but it's because persecution came to the church in Jerusalem. The Christians scattered What happened when they scattered, they shared Christ. That's when the church grew exponentially. The church did not grow exponentially when there was peace. The church grew exponentially, and exponentially just means big, beyond multiplication. That's when the church grew, was when Christians scattered and kept sharing the Word of God. Isaiah 55 says that God's Word will not return void. So when you have an opportunity to share Christ, you may feel rejected. You may feel like it didn't do any good, but it will not return empty. To to borrow from the Apostle Paul, here's what he said, we don't grieve or mourn as those who have no hope. Why? Because our faith is anchored to a man who died but rose from the dead. That's the difference right there. To borrow from Peter's words, we can cast our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. And to borrow a phrase from the author of Hebrews, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's why we have hope even when we don't have any explanations. So if Paul is correct, I believe he is. If Peter's correct, he is. If the author of Hebrews is correct, and he is, what strikes us as unfair, unnecessary, tragic, and it may be from our perspective, but in spite of that, our hope, your hope, is not misplaced. It's not in vain because we have a living hope that's anchored not to the fact that everybody always lives happily ever after, not to the fact that life is always good and always easy. Rather, it's anchored to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That gives us hope. And as Hebrews would tell us, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So as we go deeper into our 40 days of P3, Prayer plus praise equals peace. Let's just allow the peace of God to settle down deep within us. And let's get our eyes off of each other. Let's get our eyes off of the injustice. Let's get our eyes off of the government. Let's get our eyes off of the pandemic. Let's get our eyes off of the differences that we have and all that stuff. And know that things won't always make sense. Things won't always be pleasant. But we can have peace because... Jesus conquered death, and that gives us peace. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for the inspired words of Luke and Peter. Lord, I'm thankful that uh, we don't worship a book. Lord, we receive instruction from this inspired book. We worship Jesus Christ, who died 
resurrected from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the throne of God, He's making intercession for us right now. So Lord, I, I know we're going through stuff today that we've never gone through. I know that we can look around and be dissatisfied because somebody always has it better than we do. Lord, I know that we've all prayed prayers. They haven't been answered. Lord, I know that we're frustrated with things right now, but God, I pray that as we uh, will bring you our needs through prayer, that we would truly leave them there. And then God, that we would ascribe all of the praise to you because you're a good God. You love us. And then Lord, we would just let the peace of God settle down upon us. And we would go through life, not panicking, not super stressed. Lord, as we look at our job, as we look at our financial situation, as we look at our marriage, as we look at our kids, as we look at all of the things, God, that just cause us to fear. I pray that you would give the peace of God and that you would give peace with God. So God, this week, Lord, let there be kind of a a shift in the way we approach things. Instead of God just, oh, just running around and saying, it's crazy, it's crazy, and got so much to do. God, I pray that our schedule would react, re, uh, would, uh, react or that we would react according to what you want us to do, Lord. Lord, that it would be a response to you, your direction. God, give us peace. And Lord, I pray that ultimately we would look to the Prince of Peace and that people would be drawn to the Prince of Peace. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for allowing us these few moments together. Go with us, I pray. I ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And everybody said, Amen, and Amen, and Amen. Go with God this week. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.